As that song uh, says, we just sung, there's a finishedness about being a Christian, isn't there? Isn't there? Yeah, okay, we think of it, it is finished, Jesus' last words on the cross. And there's, there's some things that, that just happen, they're final. When you come to Jesus, uh, which I know looking around, many of you have done. Uh, and if you haven't, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, just want to say you're really welcome here today. And I hope there's stuff in this talk for you. But what you'll probably be seeing most is lives that have been changed by Jesus, that Jesus has done something to and he's attracted us to him. Um, and when we come to Jesus, there's a sense that we we are instantly new. There's a newness that comes instantly and it's declared like you are a new creation. You are born again. Uh, you have died with Christ to the old you. There's a finality, a finishedness about it. But at the same time, there's a beginning as well. And uh, as, Jesus, as Paul can say, you have died with Christ. He then goes on to say, put to death the old you, the old, uh, the old things that you used to do. And there's this kind of, yeah, it's done, but we need to do it. And uh, in this whole series, transformation, that's so much the case. And yes, there's a sense in which what Jesus has done is, is finished. Which there's a transformation that's kind of ours in Christ. But the emphasis in the Bible is on a working with Jesus and working with the Spirit of God to work out together with the Spirit this transformation uh, in our own uh, lives. Uh, Jonathan, uh, I think if you were here last week, he used uh, a passage in Ephesians 4, which is gives really helpful language for this, for this whole series uh, of putting off some stuff and putting on some stuff, okay? Putting off some stuff and putting on some stuff, which for me just sounds like getting changed. And I think that's probably kind of the image, changing your clothes. Um, I thought, as I did this, I thought, this is having a makeover, but I don't think, that's not a makeover, is it? Just getting changed. Every time I'm out of my element here. I'll go back to, <laughs> I do get changed every now and again. So um, every, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you, but it's quite clear the, the image is you, you put off, it's like we used to wear this old set of clothes that had, there were certain attitudes, <laughs> values, way of doing things. And the encouragement of Scripture constantly is to put it off and then not just go out naked, but to put on the new way of doing things, a new way of thinking, speaking, living. And that's what this whole series is all about. And so we talked about some putting off and putting on. See if you were around for them. Rich started with put off pride, put on. You haven't had it. But someone got it anyway. I'd tell Rich not to come. That's fine. Easy. We saved a week. Good work. Humility. Yeah, you, you could see that was going. Put off pride. Put on more pride. Um, what about this one? Have you had put off bitterness? Put on forgiveness. Great. We had that. Was, was that last week? Great. Fantastic. And today I'd like to continue the theme of the one you haven't heard and the one you have heard, uh, which is put off judge, being judgmental and put on generosity. From judgment to generosity. That's what I want to talk on today. And uh, most of the talk's going to be about the how, how would we do that. But it's probably worth just at the beginning saying why. Why pick those two words, apart from there's a nice alliteration to them, isn't there? Judgment and generosity, I hope you spotted that. Uh, not my doing, but yeah, always worth a good, good work for alliteration. Um, what it, what, and what do these things mean as well? well when we talk about judgment, judgment, being judgmental, I'll define this a little more as we go on. But to start with, I, I guess we'd all have an idea of what that looks like. Uh, someone would be judgmental if they were overcritical, <coughs> if they were uh, always finger-pointing, they were quick to point out other people's faults, that they were slow to think the best of people, they'd often think the worst of people, and let that know. And that would be being overly judgmental. On the other hand, put, well, that's what the encouragement says, put that off. Put on generosity. And by generosity, I'm not going to be meaning just 
money, because that's how we use the word, isn't it? But actually, generosity is more about living your life very much being willing to put yourself out for the good of others. That could be money, that could be time, but that's just a spirit, that's an attitude of generosity, of other-centeredness, honoring others uh, above yourself. Um, And it probably goes without saying why we might want to go from one to another, but I will say it, in that we don't like people who are judgmental, do we? Is anyone like that? <laughs> Gonna put, I would like to find some friends. Let's find some really judgmental people to be friends with. In fact, on the other side, we really like being friends with generous people for obvious reasons. When we see these things in other people, we spot instantly a kind of badness and goodness to them. Bad judgmentalism, I don't like that. It's kind of ugly, unappealing. Generosity is really good. But the funny thing is, while we spot something wrong, if today you're thinking, oh, brilliant, speaking on judgmentalism, that person there really needs to hear this because they are, they're that gossip and so on. I'm afraid you need to hear it in that case because uh, you are yourself being judgmental. It's kind of ironic in, in that sort of way. So it's something we see that it's a good movement to make, but it's difficult because we don't spot it in ourselves so often, and so it's good to be reminded of it. Um, but, but kind of the, when the rubber hits the road, why do we want to look for this is that the Bible tells us very clearly to make this movement, to work with the Holy Spirit on this transformation. Luke 6, 36 to 37, puts it all together in two verses. It's just beautiful. It's all together. And this is what Jesus says. Um, you must be compassionate. Just give people a moment. They're turning to it. Luke 6, 36 to 37. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. You must be compassionate, merciful, gracious, generous, forgiving again. Comes up from last week. Those are all built into that idea. Do not judge others. Let's be transformed from judgment to generosity. But the question is how? How do we do this movement? How do we work with God uh, and how he works in our life to move from one to the other? And I just simply have three things I'd like us to consider today. And uh, one is to consider our past One is to consider our future, and one is to consider who God is. Easy. Three points. They just fit together beautifully. I wonder if you can even remember them now. First is to consider our past, then consider our, and then to consider who? You got it. This is great. Guys, we're on the same page. The sun is shining. All is good. Firstly then, how do we move from judgment to generosity? Let's consider our past. As Christians, when we reflect on how God has treated us, we should surely make a move from judgment to generosity. And there is one story in the Bible, I think, that sums this up better than any other so quickly. And although it's applied to a very specific element of it, you might think for a minute, in a moment, we're back to last week, it definitely applies broader. And it's the parable Jesus told. It's a story, very simple story, of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. Welcome to turn to it, but I'm just going to paraphrase because it's super easy and many of us would know it, but it would remind you of the detail. The parable of the unmerciful servant is a story about a king and a servant. And the servant, for some reason, somehow has got himself into huge, huge debt to this king. It says uh, in the NLT that he owes him 10,000 bags of gold. That's a lot. Okay? Any country you're in, bags of gold, 10,000, that's a lot. No idea how he got himself into this mess, but there's this sort of sense that he's been owing this for a while, that he's had a bit of a chance to sort it out, and he's failed miserably. And so in the story, the king calls this servant to himself, who owes him 10,000 bags of gold, and he says, okay, time up. 
you've owed me this for ages. No, no we can't go on like this. And the punishment is declared. I'm going to throw you and your wife and your uh, children into, well, sell you basically into slavery and get rid of all your possessions. And that's not going to do the whole bags of gold, but at least it's a start. But there's got to be a payment here. Do you, you see the idea? Um, and the, the servant just falls down his knees before him and he pleads, because obviously you don't really want that to happen, do you? He goes, please, and it's a ridiculous plea. <laughs> he says, give me a bit more time. It's like, tomorrow I might find 10,000 bags of gold hidden somewhere. Give me some more time, I, I can pay you. Um, and he just says this, one sentence, he says, the king had mercy on him and cancelled his debt. 10,000 bags of gold, wow. So quick, but such a, Crowd, imagine you're in that situation. Imagine you, you had that sort of debt and something is gone. I'm not even going to mention it again. It's gone. And in the story, the servant gets up, dusts himself off. I'm sure there's a few thank yous involved. Uh, I would imagine a bit of bowing and scraping. Um, and he walks down to the street. And the next thing that happens is he sees a, a fellow servant of his, another friend. And this friend owes him, I think it says, uh, 100, 100 silver coins. Hard to do the... We're going on holiday this year to Greece. I'm thinking about currency translations. I'll do the translation here. But it's, it's thought that the 100 bags of gold was 600,000 times more than the 100 silver coins in their culture. So if we said the first one was 10 million pounds, this is 20 quid. Is that maths okay? Not exactly, but it's roughly. Okay. So he's a mate who owes him 20 quid. And he thinks, whoa, wait a minute. You've owed me this rage and you keep avoiding me. You haven't been paying me my money, okay? And he goes up to him and goes, right, that's it. You got my 20 quid. No, I'm really sorry. Can I just have another week for the 20 quid? He goes, no, that's it. This must be, justice must be done. And he hands him over to, to the prison guards to put him in prison until he's paid the debt for his 20 quid. The story doesn't end there. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. But in a sense, the job is done. All of us had the same response. It's like, what? Nobody would ever do that. That's insane. It's so inappropriate to act like that. And Jesus applies it to forgiveness specifically. Uh, well, if you've been forgiven, because we are in the situation of the serpent, we've been forgiven all this stuff from God, how can we just go to someone else for little things and not forgive them? However, it, I think it can be applied much more broadly than just forgiving. You see, when we think of forgiveness we shouldn't see as God's forgiveness of our sins that God forgives our sins as these isolated acts that God does for us which are separate from the rest of his character. It's like God's there stern and he's found some legal loophole that means he can go forgive, forgive, forgive. And he's got his list and he's just crossed them all out and it's done. It's isolated acts in that way. No, no, it's much more should be seen as forgiveness is the tip of this iceberg that we probably think of most when we think of God's generosity, but it's of this graciousness that is just under the water like an iceberg that is just massive. It's like, it's not this out of character thing that God does. Oh yeah, I forgive that and that and that and that, but I'm, mm. No, God is overwhelmingly gracious. And his forgiveness is like the, 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 the tip of the iceberg. It's the thing that we remember most. It's the thing we thank him for most, but really what's behind it is this incredible generous-spiritedness. According to the Bible, God made human beings in his image. He didn't make us as his slaves to kind of do some stuff for him and then like, you can go, I've got that done now. Like, he made us with value. He made us with dignity. 
You probably thought we'd, uh, we'd finished Genesis. We've done that for about a year, haven't we? God, you never get away from Genesis 1 to 3. Let's stay there for a second longer. Okay? Imagine this dignity, but then you look at the Garden of Eden, and uh, lots of people think of the Garden as, not us, because we've obviously you've been well taught on such matters, but some people think of the Garden as uh, uh, these two trees. Here's a garden. You might like gardens, you might not like gardens, but there's two trees. There's a knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life, okay? Just don't eat from that one, and there's another one, okay? That's not the setup of the garden at all. The setup of the garden is like this. There are thousands of trees. It says they are beautiful to the eye and delicious to eat the fruit. Again, you might not be into fruit trees, but it's a picture of generosity. You can have it all. He got making you in my image. Have it all. Eat from any tree. Just not that one. You know, not that one. There's some rules here. But any tree. He's a generous God. He's a gracious God. Jesus said that the Father, he causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. There might be all sorts of things going on in our lives, you know. But in summertime, day like today, sun's shining, you've got to think, well, he allowed me to live today. He's given me another day. All the things in life that come to me, he's enabling that to happen. There's a generosity. There's a grace in God. Forgiveness is just the tip of the iceberg. It's in keeping with his character. And for us then, forgiving others, I think, should be seen as the same. So often, I, I think of forgiveness so often as, um, right, forgiveness means this. Someone does something bad to me, and I grip my teeth and go, okay then, I forgive you, they're forgiven, Phew, done. And someone else does something bad to me, it's like, I forgive you, done. And that's how it goes, and we just call to forgive these isolated acts. And just to be to be open on this, I know that sometimes we have to do that because sometimes forgiveness, well, all the time forgiveness is really difficult. And there'll be many people in this room who've been wronged far more than I've ever been wronged. And sometimes we just have to do it. We say to God, you said to do it. I find this hard. I, I forgive. And there's a gritted teethness about it. But listen, that's not how God wants forgiveness to be from us all the time. No, no. What he's calling us to do is something deeper He's called us to develop such a generous spirit and gracious disposition that forgiving others becomes more and more natural because that's what he's done for us. That's who he is for us. I think the parable of their merciful servant, while it focuses on the tip, it brings us up all the rest of it as well. Let's let's just think about this a little bit longer before we move to the second thing. God knows each of us inside out. So obvious stuff. We, we, we all know this. He knows our very good bits, and there are, I'm sure, many of them. He knows our good bits, many of them too. He knows our bad bits, and he knows our very bad bits. God is fully aware of the things that we've done that other people have stopped being friends with us for. He's also fully aware of the things we've done that people would stop being friends with us for if they knew about them. He knows those things. They're before him now. He's heard our cruel put-downs, our snide behind-the-back grumbles, the times when we've flown off the handle in furious rage, our bare-faced lies. He's heard them all. He's even witnessed the things that never got out, even of our lips, our arrogant ambitions to get our own way. He's seen our, our silent glee when other people fail. He's seen the demeaning ways we objectify other people daily. Just, they're just objects for my own gain in all sorts of different ways. He's seen it all. 
And you know what? If you're a Christian here, it's not just that he has forgiven each of those things. Now, this is the wonder. He has stayed positively disposed to us. He still wants the best for us. The one who could quite easily have erased us from existence or used us as a cautionary tale has not just chosen to persevere with us, he loves us. Romans chapter 5 says this, At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the, does anyone know this verse? Ungodly. Just think about that for a second. Often it's easy if you've got a group of friends and there's someone who's like, they're really mean to all your other friends, but they're actually all right to you. It's easy to kind of be a bit generous and be like, yeah, come on, give them a break. Yeah, they don't mean too badly because they're nice to you. They're mean to everyone else, but they're nice to you. Is that the situation with God? He's like, well, I've not really done anything to me, but a bit rude to them and a bit of a pain to them. No, we are ungodly, the Bible says. We are in our very disposition anti-God. Couldn't have been worse. Yet he is generous-spirited to us, so much that he gave the giving, the generosity we often think of, he gave the most valuable thing he could. He gave his own life. And in the face of all that, of what's happened, what God's done for us, how can we act like the unmerciful servant? How can we so easily shoot down those around us who slip up? When God would cover up our sins so readily, how can we so easily hold on to those small things that others do when they failed and bring them out to parade them in front of our other friends when we're having a coffee just because we've got nothing else to say? I was a bit bored. Oh, let's just talk about what they did wrong the other day. How can we do it? When we consider our past, we move from judgment to generosity. But when we consider our future, the same thing happens, but in a slightly different way. See, I didn't finish the unmerciful servant story because it it kind of does its job at that point, really. Everyone knows what you're meant to think of the unmerciful servant, but Jesus gives us the end, and he says this is what happens. So, unmerciful servant owes the king money, lots of money, gets forgiven, goes sees his friend, owes him a bit of money, doesn't forgive him. Okay, let's catch the story there. The king hears what happens, and he summons the servant back to him, and he's furious. And he basically, he says this, he, he says, look, I expected you to treat your friend how I treated you, at least a tiny bit of how I treated you. I don't think it's unfair as an expectation. That's how I expected to do things. But you didn't. And therefore, I'm going to flip it on its head. And now I'm going to treat you how you treated your friend. And what happens to him? He ends up with the punishment that he deserved. He's thrown into prison. And the story ends as a sad ending for that Uh, for that character. Now, he was shown mercy, and that is in the mix of the story, but also, he shouldn't, when he was in front of that guy, when he was in front of that fellow servant, he shouldn't just have considered his past, he should also have considered his future as well. We as Christians should not just consider the end of the day in the unmerciful servant story, we need to consider the Sorry, the beginning of the day in the unmerciful servant story. We need to consider the end of the day as well. Because what we do will be judged. I hope we know that. And that's the case if you're a Christian here and if you're not a Christian. What we do will be judged. Now, I think 
I want to just be open on this. I wasn't particularly keen to go down this alley in this talk. You know, I was all like, God's been generous, so let's be generous. Yes, yes, let's do that. And if you've uh, been with us at this church for long, I think it's fair to say we don't often go down the judgment route. We, we, we don't very much. I just I think that's how it is. And I'm not eager, I'm not gleeful. I don't take a relish in talking about God's judgment. But actually, I, I know that when I look at this topic in the Bible of judging others, it's interesting that usually the motivation is not given as God was good to you, so be, be merciful. It's usually given in the term of if you judge others, this will happen to you in the future. I know that the reason I particularly don't want to go down this is um, where are the time constraints we have this morning. I know that there's short circuits that go on in our brain for stuff like this. And we start saying, wait, wait a minute. If God's forgiven our sins, how can he still judge us for our sins? Uh, that's confusing. And what kind of judgment are we even talking about here? Is this talking about hell? Does it mean I can be a Christian loved by God and adopted into his family one minute and then the next be rejected by him and disinherited? I mean, is that what we're talking about here? Now, there's lots of conversations to be had on those things, but it is really strange that the New Testament authors, while they definitely overall give us a way to put together those sets of truths, it's not like we've got no way to deal with them. They're not contradictory things. No, they give us very good ways to put them together but they don't seem as keen to do that often as we are in our sermons. Often what they do is simply put two parallel truths together. God is lavish in his grace. He's forgiven you. Generosity is for you. You're his child adopted into his family. Nothing can separate from his love. There you go. There. And they just say next thing, and you will be judged for what you do. And as Christians, we're, we're called to hold those things together. Yes, we, we think about them. Yes, but we need to keep both in mind. And if you'd like to talk about these things more or think, well, how do those things go together and square them, please come and talk to me or Owen or other leaders. We do need to think this through. But the problem can be that if we spend too much time squaring them, is effectively what we do is we just eliminate one side and we just emphasize the other side. And for us, it's usually in a church like ours, it would not, not be the case in every church, in church like ours, it's the judgment bit. We just excuse it all. I understand now, no judgment, and we just end up on the grace, mercy side of things. So today, I'm not going to spend a lot of time bringing these together. I just want to put it to you. We, we've talked, I've talked about God's lavish generosity and grace to us. That stands unconditionally <laughs> and without qualification. But we also need to consider the, the fact he'll judge us. This is put in both ways, positively and negatively, when we come to this topic. Matthew 5, verse 7. Jesus said this, God blesses those who are merciful. Why? Why does he bless them? For, and how does he bless them all like? For they will be shown mercy. If you take this on board today, if you develop generosity of spirit, there is another level of generosity somehow that will come to you from God. What is it? Mystery. I'm not going there today, and I'm not sure I can even define that. But that's what Jesus said. Luke 6, 37, we've seen it already. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Obviously, there's an opposite to that as well. And there's a degree in which, yes, that could be referring to just common sense. If you're really judgmental to your friends, they will probably be more judgmental to you. Other people, it's like kind of, let's be a bit sensible here. Make your life easier. If you don't judge, you won't get judged so much. 
but it's clearly also talking about how God judges. And we know that from the context. We also know it from how the rest of the New Testament picks up this up in the rest of the Bible. James, for example, in James 2.13, I think we've got this one up there. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. That's a verse. That's not something I've put on my fridge or it's hanging in my toilet. It is, I think it's not in Andy's either. But you know what? We need verses like that in our mind regularly. <laughs> Maybe it is, I don't know. Is it Heather? Is it in your toilet, that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Makes me fair enough. I, I could see that from Andy's judgmental attitude earlier to me. I wanted to bring that one forward in one point. So anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, I'm now taking away from my own point. Um, <coughs> what's this saying? This saying is this. There is a seriousness to this topic. And uh, being judgmental to others is a big deal for us as Christians. It's a huge deal. Gossip and slander and meanness and backbiting are not excused because everybody else is doing it. Because everyone else is doing it. But that's not the point. I think God wants to lift us up out of everyone else is doing it and look down and think, but can you see how this looks from heaven? This is a big deal. And it's also, this isn't that God's lost grace now. This is an act of grace. Because this characteristic of judgmentalism is as ugly in me as it, it seems to be when I see it in other people. And so God in his love, he doesn't want me and he doesn't want you to become twisted and ruined and corrupted by such ugliness. And so in his grace, he tries to steer us away from it. He tries to bring us to something better. And he does it by showing us his mercy and going, look here, look at my mercy. Look at how much I've given you. But you know what? If that doesn't work, like any good parent, he comes up with plan B, he threatens us with his discipline. Paul writes in Romans 11, uh, he tells the Roman Christian, he says, consider the kindness and sternness of God. This is one of those moments. Consider the past, consider his kindness, but there's a sternness that you don't want to have to face when he says, how? When you come like the unmerciful servant to him, and he says, how? When I did this, did you live like this? It's a big deal. We need to put off a judgmental spirit and put on a generous one because of what God's done for us but also because of what God will do to us. Third and final point to finish, we also need to consider who God is. Consider our past, consider our future, consider who God is. And you might think, well, we could have done this. This is the kind of the same as what we've said before. He does some stuff. He is that. Yes, kind of. But actually, there's a little bit more to this that I think helps us practically on this issue as we close. Why should we stop being judgy? Okay, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Again, it should come up there. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Yeah, I know. Somebody thinking this now. Okay, Johnny, we've done the judgment bit. Got it? Judgment. Please, can we move on? This is just more judgment. We're on more judgment now. I've got it. Let's do something else, okay? And this is about judgment again, but note it is a slightly different kind of judgment here. Because actually, what this verse is saying, it's not just that we shouldn't judge because God will judge us. We actually don't need to judge because God is the judge of everybody. 
Can you see? That's a different thing. And actually, that's really encouraging and liberating for us. Now, it's, it's where it gets practical as we kind of bring it into land. Some of you might be thinking all through this talk, and I've heard lots of people say, and I've thought this lots as well, is judge not or you will be judged. It's a funny verse because judging isn't necessarily bad, is it? It's not only bad to judge, if you take that very <coughs> broadly. Uh, I, I mean, it's Helen here, Helen Ryman. Okay, you have to take my word. You can ask her about this because she knows uh, the guy I'm talking about. We, me and Helen did an alpha course years ago where there was a guy who was a Taoist there. T-A-O-I-S-T, Taoist. Okay, and I, I can't comment on Taoism as a system of belief because I've just got it from him. I've not studied this greatly. But, uh, but his take on Taoism was that one of the key features of Taoism was that we should stop making any moral judgments at all about anybody or anything. And he gave an example, I remember as we were talking on Alpha about, uh, he said, if you see on a nature program or something, a lion eating an antelope, right? You don't go, oh, that's a terrible lion, that's really bad, poor antelope. You, you don't do it, you don't make a moral judgment. When we look at people, we should do exactly the same. And that's what spiritual enlightenment, that's what maturity is. I'm looking around here, I, I don't know how many of you, <laughs> where everyone is at and stuff, but I'm imagining, I'm not massively off being to say, I don't think that's a major selling point of my friend's version of Taoism. Because we all know gut instincts like, no, no, we have to make judgments, we have to morally judge some things, think some things are bad, some things are good, and even with some people say, yes, that thing you did wasn't correct, I don't think, and that thing was correct. And what we do with that is another matter, but we do need to make that judgment. And to clear this up a little, it's just a language issue, I think. Um, it's called discernment. That's what the Bible calls it. Jesus encourages us in John, uh, I think it's John 7, 4 or John 4, 7. It's one of those two. He says, you should judge. He tells you to judge. It's a funny thing. Judge not, then judge. He says, judge rightly. It's, it's because that's discernment. We should be discerning people, okay? Um, there's another problem that we have here when we come to judgment, which again makes grey areas. And it's highlighted particularly in our culture at the moment, um, and potentially from some very good things in our culture, which makes this so confusing. Okay, this will affect you probably more, it will affect all of us, because we're all in our culture. The younger you are, the more this will affect you, will be my guess. Okay? Two things in our culture, massive things. We are encouraged to have, have a voice. That's massive in our culture. You have a voice! And uh, we're told we, we have influence. You're always told you have influence. You should change the world, leave an impact. Those are big phrases. Again, some of you might be, what are you talking about? But I think many of you will know exactly where I'm at on that one. And I think that's a, probably a product of democracy. We live in a system of government. We have a voice, we have a vote. But I think more and more through the communication that's now open to us, social media gives us this impression because right now, you could do it if you're a bit bored and you're on your phone, you could click some keys you could put a sentence or two in, an opinion, you could put it in, and potentially millions of people could be affected by that within moments. Well, probably quite a few moments, with the emphasis on the word potentially. But you know, that that's, wasn't possible years ago, this wasn't possible. And so this idea, we should have a voice, we should have influence, change the world, leave an impact. Qualifiedly, that can be a good thing. Secondly, linked to that, we are very much encouraged nowadays to call out injustice. This is a definite tone. If you watch the news or look at BBC website, anything, you'll see this all the time. The, the idea of, of don't stay silent. When you see something bad happening, you, it's your responsibility to speak, speak up, especially when it's people who have power 
politicians, the rich, celebrities, when they're out of line, it's your responsibility. You need to say something. And that's a huge thing. And, and again, I just want to say, there's something really positive about this. There's something good. We, we should stand up for what's right in different ways. But the problem is this, is that often we can take this mandate to call out injustice really seriously, and what we do has zero effect on the people that we want to call out injustice to, positive anyway, and a very serious negative effect on ourselves. Because what happens is, you, you kind of, maybe you, let's give you an extreme example. Let's deal with extremes. Let's imagine Donald Trump, let's imagine, does something that you don't agree with. Okay, imagine, I'll give you a moment for that one. Or a, let's bring it closer to home. A British politician, potentially, a politician in that way, and they do something you don't agree with. And so what you think is, I don't think that's right. And if I say nothing, people will think I agree with it. That seems to be the way things are balanced at the moment. And so you might go straight onto your social media and go, yeah. You might put a reasoned view of why you disagree with Trump's policy on immigration or something. More likely, you'll put an eye-rolling meme saying that he's an idiot. That's kind of how those, that correspondence seems to go. Or when you p meet people that day, you might wax lyrical about, well, how could they do this? What's happening to the world? What a bunch of idiots. Okay, you could do that. And uh, what happens? You feel really good about yourself. You feel like, oh, I'm on the side of good. But actually, all the people you've talked to feel exactly the same as you do. They're, they've all always felt exactly the same as you do. And your words have had zero effect at changing anyone's mind. But what's happened is you are developing habits of judgmentalism you are becoming more and more critical. Transformation is an act of the Spirit, but also, more, the Bible is clear, it's about developing habits of good thinking and good acting. And what happens is each time we do things like that, we become quicker and quicker to judge, quicker and quicker to criticize. And it's that little bit easier then the next time with our friends when we start doing the same thing. We notice that thing that was a bit off. And so we think, it's my responsibility to bring justice to my friendship groups. I won't do it to their face, obviously, but I want to make it clear to my other friends, I do not approve. I don't like those sort of things. They shouldn't have said that. They really need to get themselves in check in that regard. And you know what? I, I want to stand in and say, look, I've done this. I've done this loads of times. And not in my defense, and I'm assuming this would be for all of us, sometimes it's with really good motives. We want to call out what's wrong. But actually, what I end up doing is doing exactly what Jesus told us not to do. Don't judge. And the reason's simple. It's because of who God is. It's because of who I am not. I am not the judge. God is the judge. God will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. He will give to each one whatever praise is due. I want to be completely clear. Sometimes we have to call things out. Some people here, you do have an audience. You do have responsibility. You've got, a, got, got some serious clout here and there's wisdom to be shown here. But I want you to reflect. Reflect on your conversation. And for some of you, this will be irrelevant. Some of you, we won't. Reflect on your social media presence and your online presence. And I want to ask, if either of those things, you are more critical and you are praising others, well then, I think you really need to take a step back, put off judgment, and put on generosity of spirit. And you know, I, I know today's been pretty heavy at, at times. 
It has been. But as we finish, I want to lighten at least one burden off you today. You ready for a bit of lightness? Because this is good. This, this comes to us really well here. I've got some really great news for you. If you've taken yourself to be the judge of all that's right and wrong in the world around you, ready for liberation? No, you don't need to act like the judge because you're not the judge. God is the judge. Donald Trump will one day have to face God. Boris Johnson will one day have to face God. That person in your friendship group who you're pretty sure doesn't like you and is consistently unfair to you, they're going to have to face God. Your spouse is going to have to face God. You are going to have to face God. I'm going to have to face God. God is the judge, so we don't need to be. And so for each one of us, there's an, there's an urgency that we throw ourselves onto the mercy of God and we partner with him in transforming from judgment to generosity. Through the cross and resurrection, in a sense, he's already done it. We're new creations. We've died to the old way of living. But now we need to live it out in his grace and the power of his spirit. I'll pray for you. If you, uh, you want to engage with God very quickly before we move to worship, I'm just going to quickly pray before I make my journey north. Jesus, you said about your father that he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. I thank you that is true in every single sense of the word, Lord. And like a good father, sometimes what you say to us is, fills our hearts instantly with joy and it's like, yes, that's what I want to see. There's sweets from our dad almost. Other times there's things that are really hard. Some of you guys who are a bit younger, maybe in your teens or something, you might know what it's like to storm into your room and slam the door and think, dad, why did my dad say that? It's so out of order. Actually, most of the time, probably, one day you'll look back and think, thank you. For that, I know it's probably hard to think of now, but many of us will have been later and will know that. And I feel this words like that today. God is, it's not like he's good cop, bad cop here. He's a good father. And Lord, I pray to you as a good father, give good gifts to your children. Don't let the birds pluck away anything that I've said that's helpful today to help us to be more and more like you. What a privilege to us that we can be more and more like a generous, gracious, merciful God. Please be good to us. Please don't go easy on us in this regard, Lord, that we could shine like lights in this world and be a blessing to all those around us. Amen.